Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patriot Speed is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. All right, everybody. Welcome in. We are back with yet another live edition of the Patriot Speed podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. I am Mike Cadlick, and I am, as always, joined, joined as always, by 98.5 The Sports Hub's Alex Barth. And after a long, long, long weekend of NFL draft coverage for the both of us, we're back yep. yet again. 12 picks, a couple more UDFAs. Uh, some interesting news around the Patriots with some potential picks. I want to talk about Jameer Gibbs a little bit with that whole rumor coming out, but we'll get to all of it. We're going to give you quick hitters on every single one of their picks. Uh, and then we will all obviously also finish off with a Boston sports minute. We're going to vent about the Bruins to close this thing out. So yeah, we're going to get to all of it. Uh, I want to remind you that we are powered by FanDuel here at CLNS Media and on the Patriots View Podcast. Uh, the NBA playoffs are here, so we're shifting focus from Bruins right to Celtics round two. Uh, and FanDuel is offering a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. All you got to do is sign up at FanDuel.com slash Boston. No-sweat first bet basically means you make your bet up to $1,000. If it loses, they'll give you $1,000 in bonus bets up to whatever you bet on the first one. So pretty simple. Just do it at FanDuel.com slash Boston, and uh, that's where you get your money. So uh, go do it. All right, Alex, well, like I said, we'll go rapid fire here. Uh, we'll go through each of the 12 picks, and uh, we will start with Christian Gonzalez, who we talked about a little bit on Friday night, but uh, Patriots obviously traded back from 14 to 17, and essentially, hopefully, if all goes well, land their cornerback one of the future. So um, any – any change thoughts, I guess, since, you know, we came on here ramping and raving about the whole thing on Friday morning. But uh, frankly, I'm still in love with the Gonzalez pick. But, you know, now that we've thought about it and took it all in, what do you think? No, I still love it. They they got they took the best player that was on the board, happened to be in a position of need. They they got a guy I think they realistically had no shot at getting. Mm-hmm. I uh, I just want to pull this up real quick. I'm going to need yeah. the backstory on this in a little bit here. The John Zanis meltdown. I did not know there was such a thing. But um, – they got they, they they got the best corner in the draft. Yeah. You can't be mad about that. It was arguably their it. biggest position to need, and they got a player they shouldn't have gotten. I find issue with it. You can't. There was a uh speaking on on John here on John Zanis meltdown yeah. that was just uh every single time a player was taken. We we did CLNS Draft Central Lab on here, myself, t- uh Taylor Kyles and John Zanis. I tried to play middleman, but every single time a player was taken, Taylor was over the moon about it, and John was anti-pick, no matter shocker. what happened. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, shocker on both ends, frankly. And so I tried to play the field a little bit there. Uh, no real meltdowns, I guess, but towards the middle of the draft, especially on Saturday when they went, 
you know, interior line, interior line, a couple special teamers. John was a little fussy, but um, we'll get, we'll get to all that as we go through this. But again, Gonzalez. Um, yeah, I like it. I think um, looking at the defensive backfield as a whole, right. You have, you now have the true flexibility to allow Jalen Mills to move to safety. Uh, John Jones, either to the slot or maybe to the boundary, depending on what you want to do with Jack Jones. But I think it gives you a little bit of breathing room there um, and still gives you one of the better secondaries in the NFL um, from top to bottom. So, again, if it pans out, this could be one of the better picks in the draft, I think. Oh, yeah, it, totally. And and like you said, it, it gives you opportunity for versatility in the secondary we know Jalen Mills is playing safety. I'm really interested to see what they do with John with Jonathan Jones at this point. Yeah. I think like their best alignment is Jonathan Jones in the slot with with Christian Gonzalez on one side, Jack Jones on the other. Now, the question is where are they at with Jack Jones, right? He was suspended to end last season. What does that yeah. mean? But um they've got options in the secondary. They have a lot of options in the secondary. Yeah. Um Let's actually get to the Jameer Gibbs rumor while we're talking about the 17th pick, and we'll bang it out of the way here. So Albert Breer, MMQB, uh, he wrote a you know post-draft column today for Sports Illustrated and essentially alluded to the fact that uh, when Jameer Gibbs was taken at 12 and you know yeah. the Detroit Lions were all pounding the table about it. Uh, Tra- they traded they, up for him. Yeah, they traded up for it, grabbed Gibbs, uh, second running back off the board at, at pick 12, and apparently there was some intel that New England was was potentially eyeing Jameer Gibbs at pick 14. Um, so that sort of, you know, went through the rumor mill on Twitter today. I've I've really crapped on the idea of taking a running back in the first round, but I actually tweeted that I, I kind of would have liked the pick at 14 with Gibbs. I mean, I don't know how much I truly would have liked it if it actually happened, but looking back on it, first round pick, adding a weapon for Mac Jones. We've talked about it on the show. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is more than just a running back. You could put him in the slot as a receiver. You could run him on real roads. You could run him out of the backfield and make him a threat in your passing game just as much as it would be hitting the ball off to him. It wouldn't be a Ramondre Stevenson replacement. It would be a Ramondre Stevenson compliment should they have drafted Gibbs in the at the 14th pick. Doesn't happen, so it doesn't really matter. But what did you make of that, and what would you, I guess, have thought if they had taken Gibbs at 14? I totally buy they would have done it. Frankly, yeah, I think they would have done it if, if Gibbs and uh, – and um, I haven't slept. Um, the running Bijan? back from Texas, Bijan. Thank you, Bijan Robinson. If if Gibbs and Bijan Robinson had both fell, I, I I think they still would have taken Gibbs. I said this from the beginning. Yeah. I think he was very high on their board. Bill Belichick speaks very highly of him. They like to have those impact players. It it you know the less expensive skill positions, running back and tight end, r- r- rather than receiver. He's yeah. a damn good running back. Whether you think it would be appropriate to pick him in the first round or not. I absolutely buy they would have taken Jameer Gibbs at 14. So you're, you're all in. If he fell there, if Lions didn't take it, you don't think they trade back for gone. You don't think they take Gonzalez. You don't think they trade back. You think they, the likely they might, they might still been. trade back. I mean, yeah. look, they traded back for Gonzalez, right? And I was saying you yeah. run the card up. So, True. but no, I, I, I said it from the beginning, right? Gibbs is going to be on their board. He might be yeah. on their board with the first round grade. I it it totally lines up with everything we heard. I was kind of uh, I was thinking back, and I remember when we were on here during the combine, and I I, I pulled a quote from Daniel Jeremiah during during the broadcast, and yeah. I thought he said they were gonna they were eyeing Gibbs at fourteen, and he was talking yeah. about Bijan, and he, oh, you know, look, he, who he was right? Me and said, I could have been right if it had yeah. it happened. I could have been right the whole time, but. Uh, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. That didn't happen. They bring in 
someone obviously who uh <laughs> i'm looking at the chat alex hasn't slept in three days <laughs> he's yeah. riding out here he's good we're rolling yeah but, uh, yeah so again that's that they bring in cb1 christian gonzalez someone who again he's uh i think he has 11 to 1 odds to win rookie of the year on fanduel sportsbook i think there's a high chance he does that depending on how well anderson willa anderson plays in, in houston but uh again slam dunk a plus first round pick and i i stand by it so um, like I said, we're going to go rapid fire. So let's get into number two. Uh, day two, they there was a lot of rumors rolling around um, that they were looking to trade up, not only into the first round at the end of Thursday, but also uh, into Friday. They were looking to get into the front end of the second round. Instead, they stick and pick, and Keon White essentially falls into their lap, the 6'5", 280-pound defensive end from Georgia Tech. It sounds like they were, A, ready to take him 14 B, could have taken him at 17. C, wanted to go into the back end of the first round for him. And then D, didn't make a move, but he ends up falling to them right at 46. So this was another one where at the moment, I think at the moment I was questioning it a little bit only because, you know, I waited all three days for them to bring in either a weapon or someone to protect Matt Jones. They didn't do it through days one and two, but Keon White, 54 tackles, seven and a half sacks in 2022. Uche's in the contract year. You never know where that brings you. But thoughts on Keon White now that we've taken you know some time to digest it too. I like this pick. I was a fan of Keon White's coming in. Now look, I, I it's not a slam dunk pick. I, I'm not okay. saying I like this as in all oh, they got you know a, a Pro Bowl or an All Pro, but he's so athletic. He has great yeah. size, and then on top of that, he's only been playing defensive end for three years. He he's a converted tight end, and when I see guys like that right? He's been playing this position for three years and he went ahead of guys who've been playing defensive end their whole, their whole lives. Right. So you think of the progress he made in the last three years, he's clearly a quick learner. He's clearly a guy that can pick it up. Now he's a little bit on the older side. Some people have pointed to that limiting his ceiling, maybe a little bit, but it's not like you need him to grow anymore physically. It's not like you need him to become a better athlete. He's an elite, elite athlete at this point. He just needs to learn the technique. He needs to learn the finer points of the position. And this is something he talked about when, when we spoke to him after the pick. Said, right. I, my technique needs to be better. My technique's not good enough. If they can coach him up, they get a potential difference maker, I think. Yeah. It's on them. It's on the coaching staff. And look, they've drafted players like this that have totally panned out. Honestly, it's kind of like Kyle Duggar. It's a little yeah. different because Kyle Duggar didn't change positions, but Kyle Duggar came in raw and they sort of worked with him to figure out what his role would be and emphasize his strengths. I think you're going to see something similar with Keon, uh, Keon white. They've drafted these pure athlete guys that haven't panned out. There's a whole laundry list of them. We could go through, right? Yeah. That shall just, not be named. We're not going to do it to ourselves. <laughs> when you get a guy that's this big, this athletic, just based on everything we've heard, speaking with him, hearing about him, this determined. I like, I, I, I like what's there. I, I, I always say when you structure the draft first round, should be instant high impact player, Pro Bowl, All Pro ceiling. Like that's a guy who's going to star now, and he's going to star in the future. Second round is your upside guys. You're getting the guys that maybe don't have the floor the first round guys do, but still have that All Pro potential. Maybe they're a little further away. Maybe it's a little more work. Maybe they're a little less likely to get there, but have that potential. Third round, and we'll get to the third round pick in a second. Third round is the opposite. You're drafting the high floor guys, the guys that are going to come in, contribute as rotational players, and maybe that's just what they are. Maybe they don't have that same ceiling as the first-round picks, but the floor is comparable. And then from the fourth round on, you're basically drafting for traits, which means 
you're looking for a guy who maybe his game isn't complete, but he can do one thing or two things super well. I'll use Demario Douglas as an example, and I really like that pick. Agility through the roof. The way that guy can stop, put his foot in the ground, change direction, come out of it as a route runner, as a ball carrier, however, is elite. The rest of his game needs a lot of work, but the idea is can we build a role for him around that trait and maximize him? So that's what you're doing. That's that's how I see the draft being structured. And to me, Keon White is your textbook day two pick. I don't think he was... I know there were some rumors about him being a first round pick, and I think that's because this draft was a little a little weaker. But yeah. you know, does he have the floor to come in right away and contribute? Look, I think he'll play rotationally this year. I think we'll see him a little bit. Uh, he'll do some things well, like it's going to be specific situations. But he has the ceiling to be a three down player and a really good three down player on the edge. So yeah. I would not have loved the pick if they took him at fourteen or seventeen, or honestly, even if they traded into the back end of the first round. I would have said oh, he's a good player, but. Might have been a bit of a reach Literally, to get him yeah. where they got him is perfect, excellent. No notes. Yeah, I'm with you. Yep, uh, I echo all of it. Um, for those who are just coming in, I want to throw up this comment. Our take on Isaiah Bolden. Uh, we are getting, we are hitting every single pick, all twelve yep. in a row. We're on Keon White. If you have an hour, stick around, and we'll get to all of them. So, uh, or if again, not, subscribe, and you can go back and watch it later. Bingo. Yes. Yeah. Subscribe, turn on the bell to do, do all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I echo Keon Wade. I think uh, you're right. If they had reached, I would have felt a little different, but again, the rumors of them wanting to trade up for him and then they just stick at 14 and end up doing it anyway. is perfect. So um, yeah. round three, Marte Mapu 76. This is where I think the reach has started a dynamic player. Um, multiple positions, a little light for, for a linebacker. If they play him there, I don't know if they're going to use him as the box safety again, we'll see what happens, but there's positional versatility there, which they love again, Sacramento state. Um, I just, li- I think they liked his upside. I know you just talked about a floor being, being a uh, yeah. round three pick guy, but I think that ultimately they liked Mop- uh, Mapu's upside. Um, but I, th- again, this felt like a reach to me. This felt like they could have got him a little bit later. Yep. Maybe they could have worked the board a little bit, grabbed somebody else at 76, perhaps a Josh Downs, perhaps um, a tackle like a Blake Freeland. What, who, you know, someone on offense on day two that they didn't end up taking um, and maybe make a move in the back end of the third round for Mapu. But they take Mapu. What do you think? Yeah, by the way, just to go back real quick, my player, I was going to get player comps for these. I forgot. My player okay. comp for Keon White, if he maxes out, is Trey Flowers. Okay. Um, my play, my, my, um, not Steph Gilmore. Cause like, I'm not going to compare him to defensive player of the year, but that kind of corner, just like, ideally we, you know, we get to camp, we say how great he looks and we don't say his name until the end of the year when he's an all pro, like that's the kind of player he is. You don't want to be saying his name a lot. Right. Um, Mop, Mapu, it's a tough one to come up with because we don't know how they're going to use him. Right. Right. I'm very interested in that. That's like one of the bigger storylines of this draft class, I think. And that's why, like, I'm a lot more hesitant about this pick because, in theory, you're drafting him to be that athletic middle linebacker we've got, we've wanted them to get for years. You're drafting him to replace Mac Wilson, Raekwon McMillan. You're drafting him to be your Fred Warner. Now, he has to put on some weight to do that. He's 6'3, 217. That's not big enough to play in the box, but he doesn't put a ton on. He has to get up to like 225. That's manageable. But there's a couple things about that. One, they are so impatient. At that position, right? They tried Raekwon McMillan last year. He got benched. They tried uh, Mac Wilson last year. He got benched. And then they just went back to Juwan Bentley and said, we're not going to have the athletic right. linebacker. We're just not going to do it. So they have to be more patient with him for him to work him in a linebacker. 
And they also have to be willing to essentially create a whole new role in their defense. Because they've never... Re- they had those smaller, more athletic linebackers playing like Bentley. Right. They didn't have them playing like a guy like Fred Warner. So will they do all that? Can they do all that? It's a lot. And then the other option is, well, are they just going to move him to safety? Because he's built more like a safety. And the concerns there are, uh, you know, or sorry, the second thing would be, are they just going to turn him into a, an edge guy, an edge linebacker, an outside linebacker? Now he's got to put on 25 pounds. You're, you're screwing with his athleticism. Don't love that. Or are you going to make him a safety? Is he the air Kyle Duggar who's in a contract year? And it's very interesting. You look at the similarities. Small school guy, went to the senior bowl, really came on strong there, got on the radar there. I, you know, I think you're picking heavily for traits. Uh, whether it's a guy like Kyle Duggar, a guy like Marte Mapu, just supreme athlete. I don't know that Mapu's quite as fast, which is where the question is going to come in about him playing safety. Does he have the yeah. foot speed to cover some of these faster tight ends? And it signals it, that would signal to me they're done with Kyle Duggar. So I there's a way And I to, wasn't like that. I think they pay Duggar and move Ma, use Mapu as a compliment well, or well, look, here's the other thing. I, I I think you do need a plan B because I think Kyle Duggar is going to command a lot of money. But and it's gonna be a theme here, by the way, about them drafting guys to maybe take over for the next guy. Yeah. Or for the guy that's there. But this guy's changing positions. You probably could have gotten him later. And even if not him, like I look at a guy like JL Skinner, who's a very similar player, very similar makeup, down to the fact they're both coming off torn pack injuries, who you could have gotten later on, who I think gives you more or less the same makeup. So I like I sort of see where I, I see where there, there is a path for this pick, right? I want to say I see where they're going with it, but it's not a path they've ever really gone down. So I would right. see where a team is going with this, but for them, it's a little out of character. Is this a shift in philosophy or are they just taking a shot in the dark? It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll see how it plays out, but uh, yeah. And like you said, um, I, I'm with you as far as if they're going to use it as a Duggar replacement, I don't like it. I think they could instead compliment each other. And Kyle Duggar deserves to be paid. He's one of the better you know, safeties in, yeah. in the league, to be frank. And uh, I want him to stay here. I do not want them to let him walk. Um, whether they let Uche walk and Awenu walk, and we're going to get to all those guys now. Um, I think they keep the both of them. I think they should keep the both of them. We'll see how it plays out, obviously. But as far as replacing people down the line, Another center named Andrews. The Patriots took Jake yeah. Andrews from Troy with the 107th pick in round four. Um, not only were they continuing, in, in this is my opinion, not only did they continue to reach here, but it got very redundant. They already have a top-tier center in David Andrews. I know you have to build depth, and I know you can't just rely on you know one string of linemen. But you can still get you know starter day one starters in round four if they if they amount out to you know their ceiling and. Jake Andrews felt redundant and it felt like a reach to me when we, when we reacted to it live on draft central, um, a lot of pundits. And again, I know it's hard to just always use the, you know, the, the Dane Brugler guide and the, the PFF mocks and, you know, all of that to completely guide it because all of these front offices have different grading scales than, you know, the, the guys on TV, but it felt like Andrews could have been found in maybe the fifth or sixth round at this point. And they took him in the fourth early in the fourth, um, and I don't know, it just felt like a reach. Maybe he ends up replacing uh, David Andrews, but, and maybe they know more about Andrews. They probably do in their front office. And Andrews could be, you know, sooner rather than later out the door. But um, what did you take from the Jake Andrews pick at 107? 
I was I was surprised by that one. I, you know, I think yeah. that's a guy you could have gotten later. I think you could have gotten yeah. a center later. It's a strong center class. I understand wanting to be prepared for David Andrews, but they have Cody Rusi. They have James Ference. I thought they had another year on that one where where they could have gotten a guy a little lower. Like you said, maybe they know. Maybe David Andrews told them it's it's his last year. But Jake Andrews a little on the smaller side in a league where the yeah. interior guys are just getting so much bigger. I worry about that. Um, and then just what came with it with all the interior linemen. And, I don't. I know Matt Gross said that they think Jake Andrews has some positional versatility. I don't know. I think yeah. he might just be a center. So, yeah. didn't love that pick, uh, especially for when they made it. Make it in the sixth round, whatever. You know, I thought there were some right. better centers on the board, but they've been pretty good about centers, right? They found David Andrews at UDFA. They got Brian Stork around the same spot, and he was a good player before he retired due to head injuries. So. Like, watch, a guy's probably going to be a stud, but I don't exactly see this one. Yeah, that's how I could look. You know, you look. At, you can look at it one of two ways in that regard. It's, oh, they, they do a good job at identifying centers, so why waste a pick on someone this high? But on the other end, on the positive end, oh, they really identified this guy as someone who can really play center in this league, and they spent the 107th pick on him. So give it some time, and maybe it pans out. And, you know, you, you sit him for a year. Andrews goes into retirement and then Jake Andrews becomes your next guy. So I guess that's the upside. The downside is someone who you probably could have got later on, if not grabbing another center. And like you said, was a rather deep center class. Um, now we get to the special teams. This one, as much as a reach, it might've been maybe highest drafted special teamer in Patriots history. Not only did they spend a fourth round pick on them, but they technically also spent a sixth round pick because they traded up for him. I loved it. 117 to 112, add a sixth-round pick on it, trade with the Jets, go get Chad Ryland. The reason I liked it so much was because they truly they showed conviction here. They didn't let the board fall to them and then take a guy. They didn't trade out and then grab Gonzalez because he fell. Or like a lot, the first three or four picks here felt like they just let the board happen and then they took who they thought was best around that area regardless if it was a reach or not. Now they said, okay – we want to trade up. We have conviction. This is our kicker of the future, a position of need. Chad Ryland, bang, go get him. I don't care that they spent the Capilano because difference maker kicked in the elements. I really like the pick. Yeah, I, I, I thought they did a good job. In terms of being a reach, you know, we kind of talked about this on Friday, discussing mm -hmm. how they handled the board Thursday to get Gonzalez. You have to play the game. And right. I don't think they take Chad Ryland where they took him if the Niners take if the Niners don't take Jake Moody 99th overall, right? right? Kickers start going. If you want a kicker, you have to react. That's just how it works. So they they played the game. And look, I think Moody was the best kicker in this draft. I would have liked to see them end up with him. But Ryland's pretty good. Ryland's pretty good. Yeah. And I, I don't know that he has a massive leg, but they've never really operated that way. They want a guy that's going to be good from like 45 in, kind of like Nick Folk. And if you're somebody who hopes they're more aggressive, this is honestly good news for you because it tells me when they're in that fringe range, they're going to go for it. Right. They're going to go for it. They're not going to kick the field goal. So, he, he, you know, he's from – he kicked for four years in eastern Michigan, went to Maryland. He's got experience in inclement weather. Uh, he's just got experience in general. He was a five-year starter. I think that's important. Right. They probably could have waited another year, but Nick Fole kind yeah. of fell off at the end of last year, and I don't think they wanted to go into the season risking him complete, you know, being a mess and having a – Find a kicker midseason. So I actually had no problem with this. It's actually my favorite of their fourth round picks. I mean, people were texting me, they yeah. trade out for a kicker. What are they doing? I said, This is the best pick they've made this round. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah, I think so too. Also, he can kick off. He's a kickoff specialist. So he can kick Bailey. off what you need. They yeah. Lose, yeah. They lose Jake Bailey to at first the suspension and then um obviously they release him and then he goes to Miami. So Well, we're gonna have they, a we're gonna have a uh, position battle for kickoff this year because Barringer kicks yeah, off too. Exactly. So. so um but yeah, I and I heard this from Phil Perry, uh, so I wanna, you know, give him the kudos here. But had the Jake Bailey saga not, you know, went out and ended the way it did. They might not have taken either of these guys this year because Bailey okay. would have been there for kickoff, I think. Or, you know, Phil said it, and I kind of agree yeah. with him. Um, if Bailey's here, you don't need a kickoff guy. You just let uh, Folk have the one more year, and then you obviously have a punter in Bailey, and you don't need to draft Barringer. But he right. goes, and now now you're kind of clueless, if you will, at kickoff. You add the kicker, you add the punter, and there you go. But yeah. um, that's that's Chad Ryland. Um, yeah. We'll do one more, and then I want to take a quick break to shout out our guys at FanDuel. But let's do City Sal from Eastern Michigan because he's also a team, a former teammate of Chad Ryland. So yeah. uh, City Sal, someone we actually took on a Patriots beat uh, mock draft in the speed draft. Uh, he's yeah. a fast interior offensive lineman. He ran a 5.07, 5.07 at yeah. uh, Combine. At, uh, give the three, size, because you got to give the size, the context. 6'5", 323 pounds, 5.07, 40 a monster athlete for his size. Um, I'm just, I'm using my, uh, you know, my quick hit thoughts on the draft class that I wrote for CLNSBD.com to kind of, you know, guide us through this. Um, I did think it was a bit redundant here as well with, again, looking at the interior offensive line. At the time you had, again, at the time of the pick, you have Strange, you have Oweno at the guard, you have Andrews in the middle, you have Jake Andrews in the middle now who, you know, we think maybe have some versatility. Ferentz, Rusty, etc., and then you grab another guard, a little redundant maybe, but has the experience that they like played fifty six games over five years. And when we talked to Macro after the pick, he also alluded to some positional versatility with City Sal, who at six five three twenty three and that kind of speed, maybe he can be a swing tackle for you as well if you need it. So um, I liked the pick, even though it felt redundant. But uh, that's sort of that's my two cents on it. I like City Sal. I would have rather they taken him later. Uh, he's, yeah, okay. he's super raw. He's super, yeah. in terms of his technique and also like just recognizing stunts and some of the games teams are going to try to run. That's why I wonder about him at tackle. I think he has a, he's physically imposing enough to do it, but can he get outside? Can he move with the fast rusher to seal off the edge of the pocket? I think he's a guard. He's he, he can probably be a pretty good right guard in their system if they coach him up right. He, he needs a year. He's going to have a year because they still have Mike Gonwenu. And we'll get to Michael and Wendo after we do Antonio Mafi. Um, but do I see what you're pulling up? Do not pull that up, Mike. I want to. I want to um, talk about it. <laughs> I don't. Um, I so look like he's a project guard, and I don't have a problem with them taking a project guard in this draft. I really didn't, because Wendo isn't a contract here. I think they didn't need to take two project guards. They didn't need to take a project guard as high as they did. So right. ultimately, I'm happy they ended up with the player they did, but. They probably took him too high, and I, I buy they're going to try him a tackle. I don't think it's going to last. I don't think he's a okay. tackle. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's that's City South. We're through the. Oh no, we're not through the fourth round. We have a couple more left. But yeah. Um. Before we continue on, I want to do two things. First of all, I want to shout yeah. out our friends at Fanduel. But before I do that, I do want to bring up this. So uh, this is a tweet that I as I'm as I'm perusing through here, I pulled this up, and uh, it's a AI generated 32 NFL mascots. Um on this Twitter thread. And so I pulled the Patriots one, Alex, and uh, I saw it already, but what do you make of this? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. 
It's, it's, what is that? It's the clown from it wearing a Brady jersey. Why does AI believe that to be the Patriots mascot? That no is idea. Uh, that is something. So I, I wanted to sh- uh, shout that out. Uh, clearly, you didn't think it was, or no, not that you didn't think it was as funny, but uh, you're just as creeped out about it as I am. But yes. uh, for those of you who don't already have nightmares, there you go. You can think about that. Tonight. All right. City Sal complete. Yep. And now we'll talk about yet another interior offensive lineman in, let me find it. I want to pull up the L3 here. Tony Omafi, UCLA. So 144th overall pick they used to take Maffi. Um Maybe redundant, I guess, but uh, I thought, actually, I had him ranked higher than City Sal as far as interior offensive linemen go. So uh, if you want to base it off the fact that they took Sal and then they get Maffi here, feels like a little bit of value. Um, they coached him up at the Shrine Bowl. That certainly probably helped them. They got an idea of, you know, yeah. the kind of player he is and how he plays. They got to learn from him and um, all that good stuff. And this just showed me that the message and the objective was clear here, and we're going to protect Mac Jones up the middle at all costs. We're going to pound the rock. We're going to protect Mac, and uh, we're going to move forward and really bulk up at least the interior of the offensive line and that they're comfortable with the tackles. So that's my thoughts on Mafi. Again, someone who um, – may be redundant given your interior offensive line depth, but someone they want to work with and, you know, they take that one pick 144. Yeah. So I, he's kind of the opposite of city Sal to me, like city Sal's the, the ceiling guy, the high upside guy, Antonio mafia, I think will come in be a good player. And it's, you know, he's going to be a solid, you know, rotational guard. Maybe he becomes a starter, but I don't know how high his ceiling is. He's another guy that I look at and say, he can play right guard in their system. Maybe he's replacing Michael and Wenu. Right. So that really, it's hard to not evaluate these two picks together. Right, City Sal and Antonio Mafi. And yeah. I look at two things. First off, they are worried about their ability to retain Michael and Weno. I think that is clearly yeah. true. I think one of these two guys is your week one starting right guard in 2024. The other part of it, I've seen a lot of people ask this is well, they didn't take a tackle, they took two guards. Is Michael and Wenu going back to right tackle? Right. There's two reasons I'm hesitant about that. First off, we don't know how good these guys are going to be in the NFL. I don't think you right. make that straight up your plan going in. Now, I think Mafi might be ready. If so, is a great camp. It becomes easier to talk about it. But I hardly doubt that they walked away from the draft saying Michael Owen, who's our right tackle. Maybe they know that that can be an option down the road, but that's just not how they operate. They are not penciling yeah. either of these guys into a starting role, nor should they at this no. point. There's a reason they went when they did. The other thing is last year, they were adamant that Michael Owen was going to play guard. You know, right. they dinked around with his development for two years. They kept bouncing him back and forth. And they said, we want him to be a guard. He's going to play guard. We're not going to move him." And that got tested even late in the year, right? When they lost Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown and guys keep going down. And it made all the sense in the world. You know, it's like, we get it. You want him to play guard, but like, this is an emergency. You kind of need a body. They right. still, nope, he's, he's a guard. That's what he wants to be. Maybe that was a Matt Patricia thing. And that goes out the window with Bill O'Brien, but they were dead set last year about keeping him a guard. And the reality right. is coming up in a contract year, he's going to make a lot more money as a tackle than he would as a guard. So if they do think they're going to pay him, that's even less reason to move him out. Right. there. So I just think they've been against the idea of moving him back to tackle since this time last year. And I don't outside of it, unless Bill O'Brien walks in and says, I am here now. He is a tackle. Anything right. short of that. Yeah, Clem I, as I, well will be involved in that. Right, and Adrian Clem too. That's a good point. Yeah. But 
I, I, I don't think that they're looking at it that way. I don't think they're looking at it. We got better guards, so now we can move him back to tackle. I don't think they're looking for a reason to move him back to tackle. I don't think they want to move him back to tackle. I actually think they're actively against the idea of moving him back to tackle. Yeah, they don't want to, you know, add a contingency plan to it. You don't want to right. just bump him out there. Uh, he's, be- he's better at guard. He was solid yeah. at tackle, but he's better, he's better at guard. They like him at guard. They want to use him at guard. So why bump him out to a position where he's less than only because you have a rookie who you might think can play. Uh, I, I agree with you. I don't think that they that's their plan. I think they want to k- stick him at guard, build depth behind him. Uh, and essentially, again, like you said, think that if they can't retain him, give yourself a chance by keeping him at guard and don't price yourself out just for a position change. Right. Um, and then, yeah, just if he walks, great. And now you have someone like Sal or Mafi to, you know, come in behind yeah. next season. So um, that's that. I think, again, uh, Okay, picks in uh, the fourth round, but uh, I guess it, I, in my opinion, could have been a little bit better. But as we move through here, they don't take anyone in the fifth round. Fifth round is usually no. I th- I thought Moffy was technically fifth round. I think he was. They traded, yeah, because one thirty-five oh, really? was the last pick in the fourth. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Okay, I have it written down wrong, but it okay. says it on the lower third anyway. That's that's yeah. that's me. The, um, okay. So it was a fifth round pick. So then they move into the sixth round, and Alex Barth. Alex Barth, Alex Barth, Alex Barth. Besides, sorry, I don't know why I just did that, but I'm really excited because besides Christian Gonzalez, this was my favorite pick for the Patriots in the draft. They bring in Kayshawn Butte. What a pick. Widely considered a first-round talent the year before. Has some ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs. I don't want to um, I don't want to minimize that. Last year was sort of a trainer for him down at Baton Rouge in LSU. Didn't get along with, uh, from what I understand, did not get along too well with Brian Kelly, but he also injured his ankle. Um and had a tough combine, did not perform great, and thus falls all the way to round six. Um, some coachability concerns as well. I don't think that will be a problem. Well, it, it could either be um, a massive yeah. problem or not a problem at all where you come in and you get coached by Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien. You either fall in line or you're out of here quick. And so that being said, all the talent in the world, Macro said it best, all the potential in the world. You tweeted it. We've talked about it on the show before. Someone who's comped to Debo Samuel. So I'll let yeah. you get into that. But in my opinion, A plus pick because you got him where you got him. All like I said, all the potential. And then if it doesn't work, that's okay. You didn't spend a, a high, high right. pick on him. You spent the 187th pick. It's a flyer, it's a wild card. His ceiling's through the roof and his floor is what it is. So I love the pick. I absolutely loved it. So I love this pick in part because of where they took him. Like you just said, if you remember before the combine, I was saying, hey, maybe second, third round, you go get this guy. Yeah. Obviously, I soured a little bit after the combine. I thought there would be a team that kind of overlooked it and still took him in the top 100 or right around there. Clearly, they they didn't, right? He goes right. 187th. But the ultimate boomer bust pick, like the two comps they gave out, I think his ceiling, I, I don't know, quite as good as Debo Samuel, but up there. But his floor is, Mike, do you remember Jeff Thomas from Miami? Vaguely, 2020, yeah. he okay. was a UDFA. They signed him. We got all hot and bothered about it because he was a baller at Miami. But he couldn't stay on the field because oh, yeah, of okay. injuries and off-the-field issues and stuff like that. And he never really got even out to practice at training camp. He missed the first week. We never found out why. He was there for a little bit. There was no preseason that year, so we never got to show anything off. And then he got cut. And I think he's in the XFL, the USFL now. He's never played an NFL snap. Kayshawn Butte when he's on, right? You see the flashes in his game. His freshman year at LSU, and this is on the team with Justin Jefferson, or Jamar Chase, one of them. 45 catches, 735 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, he balled out. And then the last couple of years, he's been hurt. 
Uh, there are some internet rumors out there about coachability issues, discipline issues, things like that. Less school kind of yep. unceremoniously. It was weird because he was so at the start of the fall, he was the number one receiver in this draft. People had him ahead of Jackson Smith yeah. and Jigba. And then he had right. a down year and everybody at LSU had a down year. I, I know they ended up in the SEC championship game, but it was kind of a mess to get there. New coach, new mm-hmm. quarterback and Jaden Daniels, who I like, but there was an adjustment period there. Um, had kind of a down year. So he decides he's going back to school. Then the next day, the school says, well, he's not eligible to play in the bowl game. Nobody knew what that meant. There's rumors out there. You can look them up, but he's not eligible to play in the bowl game. And then the next day he says, I'm going to the draft. I'm not going back to school. I'm going to the draft. So it was all kind of weird sort of, I'm not saying he got dismissed from the program because he did not get dismissed from the program. But it sort of looks like that, or at least it was a no. I'm not breaking up with yeah. you. You're or you're not breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with you, kind of thing. So injury, red flags. Then he said he ran a combine with a broken bonus ankle. Injury flags. He struggled to stay on the field. There might be some character concerns, but holy crap, when he's on, when he wants to yeah. play, this kid is unbelievable. Great route right. runner. Excellent after the catch. Again, when he wants to, he's got that dog in him. Right, he just right. run through you all of it when he wants to get to the end zone. He finds a way to get to the end zone. Um, I he's tremendously talented if they can bring it out of him. This is a team that has struggled to develop wide receivers, so I'm not sitting here telling you he's going to solve all their problems, but you know, they haven't taken a guy like this in a while. They haven't, they've kind of been trying to right. get these like what I said before about the late round receivers, right. They've been doing that, but early in the draft. They've been taking these guys who are trait-based, right? It was speed with Taekwon. They took him high. Nikhil, it was that yak ability, even though it didn't really transfer like that. He was a trait guy. He wasn't really a well-rounded player. Um, you know, and then they go later on. They try getting guys like Trey Nixon, who was kind of the opposite of what Keyshawn Butte is. Trey Nixon has a decent baseline level of skill. And he yeah. hasn't been able to crack the roster in New England, but he's going to be around the league for a while. They haven't taken that big swing at that guy who is talented, but, you know, can you trust him, right? He's super talented, but whatever. Super talented, but he gets hurt. He's super talented, but he has off-field issues. But you need to take chances on these guys in the modern NFL. So many of these top... You're telling me, you're telling me Boutte is a butt guy. Yes, yes, a lot of yes. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so many of these receivers in the league now, for whatever reason, not all the same reason, but... You know, the one everybody points to, Stefan Diggs was a fifth round pick, right? Um, Justin Jefferson was a first round pick, but he fell to 21 in a very deep class. You got to take shots at these guys at some point. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And you got, you got him in the sixth round. It's not like they blew a massive pick on him. Uh, I'm super excited to see what happens with this. I, I don't know that it's going to work out, but it's going to be very interesting to watch one way or the other. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm ecstatic. And again, you talk about character and all that. Um, he sounds ready to go, at least from what we what he said to us um, when we were on the conference call with him. Um, he said he felt his college career was good, could have been better. But what he said to about um, after that career is that, in quote, I'm motivated more now than ever. It's a blessing to make it to the NFL to be drafted by the Patriots. It's what every kid dreams of. And when asked what he wants people to know about him is that I want you guys to know that I am a hard worker. I'm going to give it hundred percent through everything. I've been doubted a lot and essentially said that that's what feels him. So for what so, it's worth, look, I, some LSU fans pulled up some similar quotes from him before last season when he had a down year in 2021 okay. going into 2022. So 
I take all that with okay. Do it on the field. I take all that with a grain of salt. Let's see it on the right. Field. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, but again, I I love the pick. I think it's it's worth it. At this is right. This is the exact kind. Of, now, if they make it eighty-seven, I feel a lot differently. I say this guy is way too much buzz potential. Exactly. You can't take him in the top one hundred. You potentially threw his pick away. One eighty-seven. When you have twelve freaking picks, this is the exact kind yeah. of move you should be making. When you have twelve and you're going to use right. them all, right. this right. is well, one when of the ones you dead use. Dead set on all right. We have all these picks. I just ready to use them, which was absurd in and of itself. Three UDFA right. class. We're 40 minutes into this damn show and there's still four. Right. Exactly. Because they went with 12. So uh, let's move on. But again, Butte, my favorite. Uh, I will say this real quick. Scotty Washington is 17. So. Yeah. Hopefully uh, the the comment says as long as he doesn't wear 17, hopefully he gets saved from the 17 curse. Cause I'll tell you this. If I see, if I see Keyshawn, uh, Keyshawn booty in number 17, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be very worried. Yeah. I'm not superstitious. I don't really buy into that kind of stuff. The number seventeen curse with the Patriots is a different. Right. Thing. I don't. That thing does not. I don't stop. buy into the, it either. But this, I don't buy into superstitions either. But the seventeen one, <laughs> yeah. I got. Oh, great! You know what two numbers he wore at LSU? Yeah, one in seven. Seven and one. One in right? seven. One, one in high yeah. school. Oh boy. Maybe he'll wear number seventy-one. Maybe we can't <laughs> wear eight. I know. Maybe six, seven minus we'll one what, is six. Yeah. There we go. I guess once. Yeah, that's better. Is, no, one's taken. One's, one's taken. One's Parker. Right. 15's open. Seven's open as well. Oh, no. Juju's seven. Juju's seven. Yeah. But, well, he, yeah. so he's going to be. Uh, actually, you want to do this real quick? Uh, yeah, we'll do an exercise. So he is going to be um, number one. Uh, sorry. Christian Gonzalez is going to be 50. Keon White's going to be 51. Marte Mapu is going to be 52. Jake Andrews is going to be 53. Chad Ryland is going to be 54. City Sal is going to be 55. Antonio Mafe is going to be 58 because 56 is unofficially retired. 57 is retired. Kayshawn Booty. Oh, he's going to be 59. Close. Okay. Uh, okay. Bryce Banner is going to be 60. Tomorrow Douglas is going to be 61. Amir Speed is going to be 62. Isaiah Bolden is going to be 63 coming into camp. Okay. Interesting. Interesting there. Uh, I know if Butte somehow got 71 in camp and was flipped from 17, that would be a disaster. I just itself, keep but. 17. We need Scotty Washington yeah. to make the roster. Keep 17 away yeah. from him. Exactly. Um, all right, let's move on. Bryce Barringer, yeah. 197 overall, or 192 overall in the seventh round. Um, this solidified the Patriots as the first team since 2000 to draft both a kicker and a punter in the same draft class. Um, good news is it was the Raiders and they drafted Sebastian Janikowski and Shane Leckler, two of the best players all time at their positions. Berenger was arguably the best punter in the class, I'd say. Um, Corliss Waitman's here. Jake Bailey's gone. I don't know what it means for the position, but at least add some, add some real competition there. So, um, Berenger's a really solid punter, uh, but that's kind of my my two cents. Not not too much on Barringer. I like the pick at one ninety two. I think it's fine. It's a position of need, so go for it. So it's funny. He's the guy when we came away from the Senior Bowl, right? And everybody's like, oh, Adam Corsick, Rutgers. He's gonna take the Rutgers guy. Yeah. I like Barringer. I he's got a bigger leg. He's got a bigger leg, yeah. and and I you know Corsick maybe is a little more accurate, but I just think they want a guy that can boom it. Uh, it's kind of what we yeah. heard from Cam Court last year, right? So biggest leg in this class. I'm bummed it wasn't Michael Turk. I'm a little surprised it wasn't Michael Turk. Yeah, he went undrafted. Did he? I thought he went late. Um 
No, I think he was undrafted and then signed with the uh, Miami Oh, you're Dallas, right. So. You're right. I did see that because he's now with Jake Bailey, right? Ironically. Oh, yeah, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> has Corsic hasn't signed yet? Really? Interesting. Wow. Huh. They invited him. To, he got invited to minicamp. Okay. That's surprising. That's wild. Because uh, I just yeah. realized, I was like, I don't know where he ended up. I got to look. Um, yeah, Behringer, Behringer's yeah, solid cool pick. I, I think he yeah. can play. I, I think he's better than Corliss Waitman. I do. I think he ends up winning the punting job. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, and I'm okay with it at 192 as well. I think uh, at, at the time it was uh, it was a fine pick as far as, you know, taking him there. They didn't, they didn't reach for one. Um, Six-round pick, take your shot, bring in yeah. a guy who – um, has the potential to be your punter for the next five, 10 years, if you want him to be. So uh, that's that. Let's go to 192. Another great pick, in my opinion. Tamario Douglas from Liberty, wide receiver, uh, short and quick. 5'8", 179, uh, a shifty pass catcher, probably primarily will, primarily will play in the slot. Ran a 4-4-4-40 um, and also worked with the Patriots at the Shrine Bowl in February. Um that's clearly where he became on their radar. Um, I have no doubt about that. Someone who I think, and I know it's early, I know it's May 1st, and I just wrote a 53-man roster projection yesterday in April. Um, but looking at it, looking at it, looking at it now, it wouldn't shock me at all if he makes the team. Yeah. Um, I think that he can get there, kick returner, punt returner as well, I believe, um, if I have that right. So someone who's versatile um, maybe has a chance to play inside it out as well. But uh, again, I like to pick, take a shot on him at, at pick, 192, I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I really liked him at, at the Shrine Bowl. He popped off the field immediately. He Or 210. I, I have this wrong, too. It was pick 210, not pick okay. 192. I'm all over um, the place here. He, he popped off the field at the Shrine Bowl. He was excellent. So he was – because Zay Flowers was on their team, right? But Zay Flowers only practiced one day. He's the yeah. guy that was in the Zay Flowers role. And I could t- – like, Zay Flowers out there watching him, right? Like, look at this guy go. So – I don't know that he's a full-on slot receiver yet. He still has to work on his game quite a bit. He's got to bulk up a little bit. I think he needs to be a little more um, – he's, he's got to work on ball security. That's a big one they're going to want to have him do. Um, I think he's got to expand his route. He didn't run that many routes at Liberty. Once he runs, he runs very well. But I – you know, I look at him right away. What's his role? To me, it's what Marcus Jones did on offense last year. And that doesn't mean they can't play Marcus Jones on offense, but – He's a corner. He's made that clear. He wants to be corner. He wants to be a corner. They've made it clear. They want him playing corner. They want him focusing on the defensive side of the ball. That role for what we saw it last year was probably about as big as it's going to get with him on offense. And that sucked because a really good package. It was a really good collection of plays, but you can't run it if if you can't have him on the field that much. So now you have a guy who actually is an offensive player who has a similar skill set. He even said he's modeled his game after Marcus Jones in the sense of being a ball yeah, carrier I love that. who you can put on the field, 20, 25 snaps a game and you can build out that package. So I don't think he's ever going to be like a full-time player. I don't think he's the next new England, like great slot receiver, but he's going to be a guy that you're going to turn to. And look, I think they can line him up in the backfield. They can line him up in the slot. They can put him in motion. You're just, he's a guy you're going to put on the field. You're going to try to find a mismatch, get the ball in his hands and let him create. He'll probably contribute as a kick returner as well. I think Marcus Jones obviously has the punt return job lined up, but he doesn't return yeah. kicks. So Demario Douglas, the guy that maybe returns kicks, he did so at Liberty. Another pick I like, uh, and Mike, I'll I'll say this: I think they were in on him before the Shrine Bowl. I think this is the guy they've targeted. Okay, yeah, interesting. 
So again, I, I thought it was a good pick uh, for for yeah. where it was. Um, someone who, like you said, can contribute. Like, I, I, and I I agree as far as you know the, the Marcus Jones role on right. offense, maybe a a gadget guy. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I, they hand they they handed him the ball a bit at Liberty too. Yeah. Um, out of the backfield and use him, use his speed, and you know get him in space. He's never um, going to be. So this is an interesting comp. Somebody brings up Percy Harvin. The difference is teams mm-hmm. kept trying to turn Percy Harvin into a full time receiver. And maybe that's why right. this comp works because I don't think Jamar Douglas is a guy, at least not for a couple of years. He's not going to be a guy you're going to put on the field 80, 85% of the time. And he's going to be like your slot guy, right? He's a guy you put on yeah. every once in a while, try to catch the defense off guard or pick a matchup. And that's what Percy Harvin probably should have been. He went in the first round, so he wasn't. Um, that's what to me, Demario Douglas should be is he's a matchup guy. Yeah. Um, okay. Moving on. I think this was my least favorite pick of the draft. In a mere speed for Michigan State, six three corner, fast. I think he ran a four three, um, but probably just someone who you bring in to maybe add depth at special teams. Which, okay, that's your you know special teams. You want to be a bread and butter here in New England, and it was a disaster last year. So you reset the coaching staff a bit. You try and bring Slater comes back. You know you try and reset that room. But Alex, as blunt as I can be about it, Zach Koontz was still on the yeah. board, and they only have two tight ends under contract for twenty twenty four. So. Uh, I thought it was, I don't really think they needed it to be frank. Um, it just felt like someone they think that could project out as a special team if you want, but Cody Davis is apparently going to come back. Matthew Slater resigns. You signed Chris Borden free agency. I know. And, and you have, uh, Brennan score. Yeah. And I know they all do different things on special teams. I'm not just assigning specialists, but you have enough specialists on this roster where you can fill out the other roles with other places. So, or with other people, I just, I thought, I, it confused me because I thought there were more needs yeah. and there were better players on the board. I, I mainly I go to Zach Coons here and who goes a few picks later. So, but. and by the way, this is a good, actually another good comp here for Demario Douglas, Isaiah McKenzie. I don't yeah. hate that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, um, I didn't mean to pull that up, right? Or did you do that? Brock Bowers next year. If they're picking high enough to take Brock sure. Bowers, things have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Look, yeah. I actually, Gerard Mayo is right. I, I, yeah. they're taking a quarterback. I wonder if, they think Amir Speed can play some corner. Georgia transfer okay. has that pedigree. I agree with you. I think they drafted him for special teams. I basically feel the same way about him uh, as I do about Isaiah Bolden. They're going to come in. They're going to be special teamers, elite athletes, coverage guys. Look, they only had three spots for UDFAs, right? These these are the kind of guys they typically sign as UDFAs, but they had 12 picks, right. so they had to start doing it. They had to start, you know, they had to take somebody, yeah. and so they started with their typical UDFAs. Now, again, Speed went to Georgia he does have a little bit of history and coverage. This is kind of maybe a you know big swing, long shot corner pick. The thing yeah. with Zach Koontz, and and by the way, Zach Koontz, Dewan Jones, Darnell Washington, I feel the same way about these three players. That guys that are clearly that talented got passed on as much as they did. I am okay the Patriots passed on them because there was clearly something there that we didn't know about. I'm going to guess Zach, yeah. and if I had to guess... Zach Kuhn's knee injury did not heal as well as it was maybe initially reported. Because if he is a bad, and he had a serious knee injury. And I, the reason right. I was so high on him, remember I said going into the combine, we need to know how his knee is. And Ian Rappaport mm-hmm. reported it was fine. So I kind of went with that. Maybe these teams had him in for visits, did their own medical evaluation and said, oh, this isn't fine. It's not okay. And his stock falls. Right. We heard something similar with that to Darnell Washington, right? He had a knee injury. And we didn't know about it. It wasn't reported before the draft, but 
yeah, a 6'7", 270 guy who was a potentially serious knee injury, I understand why you don't take that guy. Dewan Jones, it sounds like he may have been more, you know, character issues. I don't entirely know what went on there, but they took a guy like that. It was Sean Boutte. I don't know how many of those guys you take, frankly, out of that whole group. I still might have gone Dewan Jones, but I would, yeah. I would take Sean Boutte over Darnell Washington and over Zach Koontz, definitely, if you're going to take one big yeah. risk player. So I was actually okay with that. I know people are going to say that sounds okay. like an excuse. When Dewan Jones didn't go early in the second round, I think I said this right after after Thursday night. If they yeah. start falling, I'm out because the league knows more than we do. I use right. uh, um, Nicobe Dean as the comp from last year, right? There was a shoulder injury that we had no idea about, and people were baffled that he fell. So I, I don't like, I don't know. At 214, special teams corner. And I, how That's often fair. do I say this too? If he's that big and he's that fast, there's something there. Get him in the building and see what happens. I'm not like doing right. cartwheels over the pick. He might make the team. He might not. Might just be a special teamer. But it's, the, it's essentially the same idea as Zach Koontz, right? That was the thing. Yeah. He's that big. He's that fast. Bring him in. See what happens. They just did it at corner. And by the way, you also got a funny name. Right. They just did it at corner instead of tight yeah. end. On the tight end thing, I am a little confused. They didn't take a tight end. I am a little disappointed. But they yeah. they do this. Last year was an unbelievable linebacker class. And they clearly needed a linebacker. And we say, oh, they're definitely going to get one of these guys. Maybe two. It's just a matter of who and where. And do they double up? No linebackers. Quay Walker was my – I looked back at my last yeah. year's first-round mock. And Quay Walker – I love Quay Walker. I was a big Quay Walker guy. People yeah. who watch the show will remember. Um, the year before that was a big-time wide receiver year. And they just drafted Mack. And could they get him help? They took Trey Nixon in the seventh round. That was it, right? Um, they did it, right. you know – they, they've done it at other positions in the past as well. You can go further back. I, I can't remember the year, but they did it at safety one year. They clearly need a safety. It was a great safety class. They took nobody. So I don't know. There, there's a track record of this. I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know what the logic is that like, oh, well, we're going to get a really good UDFA. So we don't need to use a pick, but I, I, I don't think John, like I, Johnny Lumpkin, I don't think is getting drafted even in an average tight end year. I think he's a UDFA right. tight end. So, I was honestly more surprised by the tight end thing than the tackle thing. Cause they kept dropping those, those, those breadcrumbs, right. That they maybe liked their tackle group and they weren't super worried about it. Yeah. Tight end Hunter Henry. They might think a sick, he's a receiver. And then you get into Scotty Washington and Matt Sokol really no offense. Aren't, you know, NFL players. They're definitely not NFL locks. Right. So the tight end one surprised me more than the tackle one, honestly. But looking back on it, okay. I know, remember this next year, Mike, when we do this. Strongest position in the draft that they need, they're not going to take anybody. We just got to remember that. Like, they're not going to draft anybody. <laughs> yeah, Don't right. put that position yeah. in any of our mocks, no matter how bad they need it. Yeah, make a mental note. Put or Make a note. Put it on yeah. a signal. Put it on your wall, and we're never going to forget yeah. it. I'll put it right back yeah. here. Um, but, yeah, again, and it, you're right. As much as I just sort of was like, yeah, I didn't get speed and it felt like a waste of a pick. But I mean, it is pick 214. Right. So at the end of the day, take your shot, see what happens. Shot in the dark. You never know you end up with the next Tom Brady this late in right. the draft. So, again, that's obviously uh, a little bit facetious. But let's move on to the last one. Shout out, Jackson State. Shout out, Coach Prime. Isaiah Baldwin, yeah. Jackson State cornerback, kick returner, punt returner. Another corner, which, okay. Um, but... I think he plays some he's safety, too. I think I saw. He might play yeah. safety in the NFL. Yeah. We'll call him a DB yeah. instead of a CB. Um, but uh, led the NCAA in uh, 
kick return yardage. I don't know if it was kick return or punt return, but 36.9 yards That's per kick return. return. Uh, 36.9 yards per okay. punt return is oh, yeah, you're right. absurd. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he would have been. Yeah, he would have been. Point. He would have been the first ever first round pick as a punt returner, straight <laughs> up. Like Devin, yeah. Devin Hester would blush at that. Yeah, I'd, I, I should have probably used context clues as, as I read that <laughs> off, but um, called it called it his bread and butter. Um, the only uh, HBCU player drafted, which Coach Prime had a little bit of a uh, a rage on that on Twitter the other day. But regardless, Bolden comes to the Patriots. Um, someone who will compete for you know, especially in snaps, just as much as uh. Just as much as anybody else. So what did you think of this pick as they rounded it out? Same thing I said about Amir Speed. You know, good athlete, good okay. size, get him in the building. At the very least, he's going to be a special team or maybe he can play some corner. It'll be interesting to see if they try him at safety. That, you know, if I'm him, I'm going in there, play me wherever, right? Because they like the guys that can play everywhere. Um, there were some good HBCU right. players in this in this draft. There are a couple of receivers, Jadakus Bonds yeah. uh, from Hampton. I'm trying to remember there was a teammate of his. There was a wide receiver at uh, – Jackson State, who was at the Shrine Bowl, who I liked is like a late day three guy. Um, and I want to remember his name because it's going to bug me. And wow, my board is already defaulting to uh, the 2024 class. I have to now click oh, back baby. to get to 2023. It's very real. I've already yeah. added a player to my 2024 board. Maybe we do that at the end of the show. Um, oh, boy. Me and my, my – I was texting my friends earlier this morning, early, earlier today, and they were like, are you and Alex doing uh, your 2024 mock draft? I was tempted to bring it up. Um, Dallas Daniels, yeah. by the way, is the guy I was trying to think of. Dallas Daniels. Oh, yeah. Um, right. I liked uh, um, Isaiah Land from Florida A&M, and I think he signed with the Cowboys. Uh, but he went undrafted. But, yeah, I you know, again, good athlete, good size. Let's see what he can do. 245th pick, your 12th pick of the draft. As long as it wasn't right. Stetson Bennett, I was going to be happy pretty much. Who went early? I think he was a yeah. That was a weird pick, pick. and then Sean Clifford got drafted. Which I, I, yeah, what are you draft? What exactly are you drafting Sean Clifford for? I would Packers. I would love to know what the trait was that they were like. We're putting this guy on the board because of this, but push right. players down for the Patriots. So that whatever. was interesting. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's uh, that's a point on each draft. Yeah, pick. that's all twelve. Um. I'll pull this up as our L3 here, and uh, we'll talk about all yeah. the UDFAs here, but this is what this I had loaded one. up in the thing. So, yeah, Malik Cunningham, they bring in uh, quarterback from Louisville, who I believe the most guaranteed money for um, an under free agent as a Patriot. No, is, is, is up correct? there. Uh, Jeff Demps is the most. The, okay. Remember, he's an Olympic sprinter. Oh, that's right. Look, I traded him for Garrett yeah. Blunt, so that was money well spent. Right. Um, most this year, and he's among the most. I think okay. he's like the second or third biggest UDFA deal of any player in this class. Yeah, so. yeah. So clearly, they they want to bring him in and see what he can do. Um, yeah. Again, it, way too early, but roster projection. I put him on there as a specialist. Yeah. Look, I don't think he's going to be your third quarterback. I just don't think he. Look, people keep saying Lamar next. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a 10, 12, 15, 20 times better passer yeah. than Malik Cunningham is. He's just not polished. He also might thrower. be faster. I think but he's faster. He's, as I was going to say, he's a damn good yeah. athlete. So give him the ball in space. No, I think Lamar is faster work. than Malik Cunningham. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. But he's still, again, point being, dominant right. athlete, someone you oh, get him the ball, let it tremendous work. Tremendous athlete. Whether it's yeah. a yeah, package with him. So I think they can make it work. Also said he's up to a, position, a potential position change. So... If you want to try and throw in the football, hey, maybe that works. But um, thoughts on Cunningham and I guess the the entire UDFA class. Yeah. Johnny Lumpkin comes in as a tight end. 
Um, there was a, a one more that I can't think yeah, of the name so, off the top of my head. But. Uh, on, on Cunningham, for people who don't know, the reason why we're comparing him to Lamar, he, he's been at Louisville so long. He was the guy that took over for yeah. Lamar. So Lamar was drafted in 2018, Correct. right? And then fall of 2018, Malik Cunningham becomes a starter. So super experienced player, which obviously you love to mm -hmm. see. Um, like you said, tremendous athlete, very smart player, good leader, yeah. you know, good locker room guy. He's gotten that kind of that kind of press as well. The report from Mark Daniels that he's open to switching positions, I think is big because I think he can play receiver in the NFL yeah. as a hands for. Now I don't know. I've never seen him run a route, but he he's different with the ball in his hands. He's just different. And you see guys yeah. like that, you want to give him a chance. And remember, they tried to do this last year with the Eric King from Miami and Houston. They signed him as a UDFA, yep. and I think he was hurt or something. I think he didn't even make it to, to minicamp. And who knows? Maybe Malik Cunningham won't either. But you get that kind of athleticism in the building. It's exciting. It's exciting. And then he gives you value, yeah. too, as a – you know, they don't have any athletic quarterbacks on the roster. He's much more athletic than Trace McSorley is. So he gives you a guy that, yeah. you know, gives you a body on the scout team when you have to prepare for some of these more athletic, faster quarterbacks – He's going to be here. I, I don't know if it's going to be on the roster as a receiver or on the practice squad as a quarterback or what have you. I think he's going to be here in, in some capacity, though. Yeah. So the other um, two, um, Johnny Lumpkin from Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, big guy, 6'6", 266. Only got 16 passes last year for 143 yards, pure blocker. If he latches on, he's the blocker. Yeah, That's but like Scotty Washington's big too. I feel like it's just easier to have Scotty Washington yeah. block because he gives you something as a receiver. And then the other guy is uh, Jordan Hellig from Appalachian State. Special right. teamer. So I Doug Hyde had this. He was originally going to transfer and then declared for the draft super late in the process. I don't know. It It's a weird makeup. Like maybe he hangs around a special teamer, but the fact that he declared that late tells me that he, somebody told him, Hey, NFL teams maybe aren't that into you. And there's probably a reason for that. So it, look, yeah. I think that the UDFA streak continues. It is something that's important to them. It's not a coincidence that they've had a UDFA right. make the week one roster for 19 years in a row. They do that. So when they get into these negotiations with these guys, they can say, you're going to have a real chance to make the team. We're not bringing you in as a camp body. Uh, I think it's right. going to be Cunningham. The one interesting thing I'll say I think so about too. this in the number of picks. And I, um, I think it was Jim Nagy who, who pointed this out on Twitter. UDFAs are getting more and more and more money to the point where some of them are now getting more guaranteed money than seventh round picks. And right. it almost kind of incentivizes teams to load up on seventh round picks and make those picks rather than dip into the UDFA market. And I wonder if that's what the Patriots did here. I wonder if that's a change in philosophy where they're saying, we would just rather have a bunch of late picks than have to negotiate with and, you know, spend more money than we have to on UDFAs. We want to draft guys at the contract set. So I wonder if that's why it was such a small UDFA class, because I, I don't think Lumpkin or Healy make the team. Cunningham might, but I wonder, again, I, kind of like I said before, if they see Akeem Speed and Isaiah Bolden as their UDFAs. Yeah, that's a fair point. But yeah, you're right. I think uh, if one of them is going to make it, it's going to be Cunningham, and uh, it's not really going to be as a quarterback. He might be listed as a quarterback, yeah. but if push comes to shove and they need it, if, you know, God forbid Mac and Mac and Zappy, something happens to the both of them, they're going to sign a guy. They're not putting Cunningham under center. Right. Um, but I think, he, I think he makes the team. He's too good not to. Um, so that is our piece on every single Patriots draft pick and UDFA from the 2023 class. Um, 
If you missed it, again, like Alex said, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass, and go back and watch the whole thing. Um, But that's us sort of putting a bow on our initial thoughts. When we come back Thursday, we'll probably open it up for some Q&A to get you all involved. So thank you guys all for, you know, tuning in, following along with us. Um, A great draft weekend, so we appreciate it. Uh, Before we go, we have some things to discuss, and it's not about the Patriots. We're going to bring a Boston sports fan in here because I am livid. Alex is livid. I'm sure you're I'm all not mad. Livid. I'm just disappointed. I, I, it's funny. I was my dad's in Florida, so I was going back and forth talking to him uh, today, last night, today, texting him all night. He was like, "Take a breath, whatever." He's like, "Are you still?" This morning, I was talking to him. He goes, "Are you still sad?" And I said, "I'm not sad. I'm mad. I'm mad about it." I, the Bruins. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, the Bruins blew. Blew it. They blew it. They blew it. They were the best team in NHL history, and they go out in the first round. They go up 3-1 in the series. They lose three straight. They are down two goals to nothing in Game 7, come all the way back and go up 3-2, and then with 58 seconds left, they let one in, and then they lose in overtime. And maybe, and I I was tweeting like, like a madman last night about it, I was disappointed, and... At the time, I said that I think it's worse than the 2007 Patriots, and I think I still agree. Um, just a tragedy. A team that has so many high-quality players. I think Don Sweeney killed uh, the deadline, bringing in guys like you know yeah. Dmitry Orlov and Garnett Hathaway, especially Tyler, Tyler Bertuzzi. He gave it his all in the front office to try and get this team to get there. Some mishaps from Montgomery with the goalie situation, and it... I'm gonna let you let you rant for a second after I do, but I was just that was a train wreck, and I'm I'm still pretty bummed out, and I don't know how long it's gonna take me to go. Well, look, you had to know it was coming because of the four major leagues, the team that's finished with the best records never won the title, right? The Warriors didn't do it, the Patriots didn't do it, the O one mm. Mariners didn't do it. As for like the O seven Patriots versus this, it's you know, is it better to get that close and have it just slip through your right. fingers versus not even get there? I think the Patriots won. That's just like getting stabbed right in the gut, right? That was just in the moment. It was yeah. there. It was gone. This was like a low drag right. out. We didn't even get, there was no run. There was no run to build the exactly Right? You won it. Right. And to go 0-3 in games that Patrice Bergeron played, it's just, it's an unfortunate indictment on this core because I know they technically yeah, won a cup in 2011, but outside of Chara, they had a lot of help. Right? Chara was a leading figure on that team. He was the captain, but that team had Mark Recchi. That team had Mason Net. You know, you look at yeah. this core. By this core, I mean Marshawn, Bergeron, Krejci. I'll get a little bit retroactive and say Tuka Rask because that was the group, right? That was the core. Yeah. They never won a cup without getting the greatest performance from a goalie in postseason history. And by the way, Tuka in 2019, they got like a top five performance. Top five all-time postseason yeah. performance. Couldn't win the cup. They needed the greatest. Great they needed the greatest performance ever by goalie in the postseason to win a cup, and this is their legacy now. And I'm not saying they should have won the cup every year, but no, this is like an all-time team, and they're going to come away with one, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. And if this is it for Patrice Bergeron, for him to get booed off the ice in his final appearance, and not him getting booed off the ice, people were booing last night when they were leaving the ice, right. as they should have. It's a pathetic effort. Right. Correct. They. Panic. I'll get to that in a second. I almost get pissed when they cheer cheer, cheer for them at the end. I'm like, don't cheer for these guys. They just blew it right in front of your face. For faces. Patrice Bergeron to leave in that regard is really sad, but also maybe fitting. Because that's what his career's been. I know. 
And as for what happened in this series, they panicked. They played panicked hockey the whole time. At no point did it look like they were confident that they were the better team than the Florida Panthers. And they were the better team than the Florida Panthers, even without Patrice Bergeron, even without uh, David Krejci when he was hurt. But the, the, the unnecessary turnovers, the miscommunication in the defensive zone, they kept trying to like push it when they didn't need to do that. They just needed to play their game, and they went so far away from that. It was really just odd to see. I don't know the series should have gone seven games. Florida was the better team in game one. Bruins won. They stole it. Florida was the better team in game one. That's why this hurts so much because the Patriots got right there, and it was like two plays, and that was it, right? They were the best team all season except maybe two plays, and those two plays made the whole difference. The Bruins weren't even the better team in the playoffs in some of the games that they won. So, you know, I look at that. The team panicked. They got out of control. Points at the coach. It points at the coach. I know know we've given Jim Montgomery a lot of respect this year, but frankly, I think it was an easy job. Patrice Bergeron coached that team. They didn't need an adult in the room. It was all taken care of until they did. Patrice Bergeron got hurt. He wasn't there on the bench. It spiraled, and Jim Montgomery couldn't take control. And look, it's a shame the mean coach had to leave. Where's his team, Mike? They're still going. (laughs) Moving on, baby. You know, when I say it's an indictment on this core, yeah, some of it goes on Bergeron and Marshawn. You have to look at Jim Montgomery, too, because he had every chance in the world to just say, hey, cut it out. You're the best team, best record in regular season history. Just play your game. Stop letting them dictate the game. Stop letting them get you panicked. Stop letting them get under your skin. He had every chance in the world to say that. He either didn't say it or he said it and he couldn't get the message across. And he also apparently played Linus Olmark through a significant, significant injury. We don't know what that injury is yet, but Kevin Weeks said it was something pretty bad. I'm sure we'll find out. You have to assume it's something lower body, right? Just the way he was moving. It's a leg, knee, whatever. The way he wasn't moving. moving. But (laughs) I, I, as much as we all applauded Jim Montgomery this year, I don't know. I think that I think Patrice Bergeron might have been coaching most of the year. I think he might have because well, that's, is it a coincidence that when he went down, that's when things got ugly? That's the part that's so tough about the coaching situation, right? Because on one hand, Cassidy leaves, DeBrusque sends his trade request, plays his ass off all season long, plays really good, you know, potential top six forward hockey. Uh, Patrice Bergeron comes back. He doesn't retire. David Krejci comes back from the Czech Republic. And, uh, you know, they, they, they get some guys here and they play – they played really, really good hockey for however many months it was throughout the entire season. Like you said, best team ever under a coach that they, as a group, seemed to like Bruce, uh, seemed to like better than Bruce, Bruce Cassidy. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? No, it doesn't because of what just happened and the goalie situation. That's going to haunt me forever. That's going to haunt Boston sports forever right. because whether Olmark was hurt or not, right? Um, the decision to then go to Swayman in game seven. Look, it probably was just it dictated due to injury, right? But when they ultimately were to lose this game, whether it was Swayman in net or whether it was Omar in net, it was a lose-lose decision heading into Game 7. And Fluto Shinzawa from The Athletic said it. I was watching him and Felger on, um, on Sports Sunday yeah. last night because I, you know, I sat and I couldn't move and I watched and I just sulked in it. And what he was saying was they should have just went goalie by goalie just like they did in the regular season. Yeah. 
and play it out and trust your gut the whole time. And that's what they should have done. And they didn't. And they kept Allmark out there and they kept him out there hurt because they thought he was the hot hand. And at that point when he's winning through, you know, those two games in a row and two in Florida, what have you, you do have to play him, but you don't, if you just played Swayman in game two. And I know it's, it's revisionist history. And, you know, we're going to think about this the entire time, uh, you know, forever because it's going to haunt us for a long time. But Montgomery, I think he, he screwed it up. And I did not like his comments about goalie Bob last night at all. Oh, that was wrong. Said, that that was wrong. That was that. really, really bad. That really rubbed me the wrong way. And I tweeted it, or I retweeted it from Michael Hurley when I saw it. And a couple of people said it was out of context. But when I heard the full thing again, he said that it, it really wasn't out of context. He said, we thought this was the best decision. And then he went right to goalie Bob and said, you're going to have to ask him more about it. And I do not like that. You are the head coach of the team. It is a everybody's decision, but you wear it on your shoulder. And he didn't do that, and I, I didn't like that. That really pissed me off. So that's my two, three, four, five cents on it. Um, clearly not happy, and I won't be for a while. But um, that's sort of that's my piece on the Bruins. Do you have anything else before we get um, out of here? Celtics and four. The, the Sixers. Yeah. Every time the Sixers play Celtics, one of two things happens: either the Celtics win close. And it's like, wow, if not for Embiid, the Celtics would have blown him out. Or the Sixers went close, and it's like, wow, Embiid carried them. Harden no-shows against the Celtics. They all no-show against the Celtics, except Embiid. If he can't play, I think this could be a really quick series. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, And like you said, sort of just, you know, speaking on that, and uh, as we get out of here, um, like you said, Celtics in four. I I think they're going to roll. They're the best team in basketball. And again, if they don't do it, they're going to be a disappointment, which is too bad, but that's where they're at. They're the favorite, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are sponsored by. Um, Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. You can get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. All you got to do is go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and sign up, get an account, and you get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. If you're already on there, you can follow my bet for tonight on FanDuel, which is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to combine for 60-plus points against the 76ers tonight. They boosted it for us. It goes from, uh, I believe it was like plus 180, all the way to plus 300. So you get some value there if you want to. Uh, FanDuel.com slash Boston. And uh, bet on Tatum and Brown to score 60-plus if you want at 3-1 to odds. So that's where we're at. That is uh, it for us tonight. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, We appreciate it. We appreciate all you guys for watching us um, the entire weekend, really, when we recap the draft, you know, tuning out, tuning in on Twitter. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. We will be back um, probably on Thursday. We'll do some Q&A. We'll continue to talk about this Patriots draft class uh, and the Patriots as a whole as we gear up heading into OTAs here. So uh, until next time, he's Alex Barth. Follow him on Twitter, at real Alex Barth. Read all of his Patriots and Boston sports content at 985thesportshub.com. I'm Mike Cadlick at Mike Cadlick on Twitter. You can check it out uh, on clnsmedia.com. And uh, again, follow us on Twitter for everything we are up to. So uh, 